relationship with one another. And speaking of relationships, when you look at what the Lord tells us, even regarding Himself, isn't that what the Lord desires to have with us? He wants to have a relationship with us. Scripture tells us that through faith in Jesus Christ, we are given confident access to the throne of God, that we can come into the presence of God confidently through prayer. That's referenced for us in Hebrews chapter 4. Through faith in Christ, Scripture also tells us that we are called the friends of God. We're also called the family of God, indicating the nature of relationship that God wants to have with us. But I think, I think we would all admit this. Uh, relationships, particularly on the human level, can be rather complicated. Is that the understatement of understatements? That relationships on the human level can be rather complicated. I think we all know people in our day-to-day life, maybe in your work context, maybe in your neighborhood, maybe in your family, maybe among some of your friends or just kind of the just acquaintances, people that you know. We all know people who could be quite difficult to interact with. And I would suspect that there are people that have come to your mind, even as I've said that. We know people who can be quite difficult to interact with. I suspect that during the course of your life, you've probably interacted with or been forced to interact with people who, who may have been hurtful to you, maybe just in the way that they treated you, or if they were... Um, don't you just love when you deal with patronizing people, or people that try to make you feel lesser, or people that have been intentionally hurtful, or people who have been dishonest? That's when I always have a hard time with, when people are dishonest. I think, how do, you, how do you handle that? How do you deal with that when people are dishonest? That's what I, I admittedly wrestle with. Maybe at different times in your life you felt attacked by certain people that you know, or maybe you feel that you've been betrayed by people that you know. And that certainly isn't pleasant. Um, and while we're called, you know, Scripture is very clear that we're called to forgive those who have hurt us, I certainly wouldn't blame you if you felt like maybe there were certain people that you were better off not interacting with for your own well-being or for your own safety. There are certainly people that we come across during the course of our lives that may fall into a category like that. Um, at present, and I, I, I'd be curious to find out if some of you can identify with this statement, but at present, I have several friends who have admitted to me that they are at the point of life right now when they would strongly prefer to just interact with their pets and not interact with people. I have heard that multiple times. They're like, you know what, when I come home, my dog never gives me grief, and he never uh, insults me, he's always happy to see me, he never betrays me, he's always loyal. You know, sometimes he gets into food that he's not supposed to get in, and sometimes he's mischievous, but I know he loves me. And I have friends that have told me multiple times that they w- they're at the point of life where they would much rather interact with their pets than they would interacting with other people. And again, it's hard to blame them, but I think that Scripture shows us that uh, a variety of things that, that I think can help us navigate the complexities of human relationships even if we've been hurt in the past. Even if you have wounds, even if you have things where you say, you know, that, that genuinely hurt. I think Scripture shows us some things that can help us navigate relationships even if we've been hurt. So what does it look like for us to be relationally healthy Christians? And how can we build and invest in and keep 
healthy relationships. Well, let me show us uh, just a few things that Scripture points out that I think are major things in regard to the type of healthy relationships or the relational health that Christ can facilitate within us. And one of them is this. Looks like in the back I'm going to need you to help me out with this here. Um, One of them is this. Relational health is modeled and made possible by Jesus. Let me read for us from John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. There it says this. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Now, as Christians who trust the counsel of Scripture, we believe that there is one God, and He exists in three co-eternal and co-equal persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that means, and consider this because this is the foundation for what we're talking about today, that means that God, by His very nature, has always existed in perfect relationship, by nature. So that means even before He created angels, even before He created humans, do you ever hear people say that God created humanity because He was lonely? Do you ever hear people make a statement like that? I've heard that said Uh, at least a few times, that God created people because He was lonely and He was looking for someone to love. God was not lonely. God has always existed in perfect relationship as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He did not create humanity because He was lonely. He's always existed in perfect relationship by nature. But now, throughout the course of human uh, history, throughout, throughout the course, really, when you look at, at Christ's earthly ministry specifically, you have Jesus saying things directly during the course of His earthly ministry that help us understand His relationship with God the Father. And John chapter 17, where I just read from, is a prayer uh, where Jesus is, is, is communicating with God the Father and he's shedding additional light on that relationship. And in that prayer, you have Jesus demonstrating several important things that I think we would benefit from noticing. He shows us, first of all, that it was his desire to glorify the Father. And then from there, he shows us that it's the Father's desire to glorify the Son. We also see that the Father shares his authority over creation with the Son. And we see that the Father shares the authority to grant eternal life with the Son. We also see that Jesus defines eternal life. So notice here in verse 3 how He defines eternal life. He defines eternal life, He says it this, this way. He says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So how's Jesus defining eternal life here? He defines eternal life as a relationship with our Creator. He defines eternal life as a relationship with God. So by definition, eternal life has everything to do with relationships. So when we're talking about relational healthy, uh, being relationally healthy people, 
we need to go back to the source of relational health and, and see, you know, effectively what the ultimate form of relational health is, and that is a relationship with our Lord. Now, how is that relationship established? Well, again, you look at what Christ says here. It's established through knowing Jesus Christ by faith. That's how that relationship is established. And here Jesus is speaking of that in John chapter 17. So it's quite obvious when we're looking through the pages of Scripture that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they live in perfect relationship. One God, three persons. And now we were being offered that experience of having uh, just the privilege to experience that divine relationship through faith in Jesus Christ. So again, when we're talking about relational health, we need to understand that our capacity for relational health is directly tied to our relationship with our Creator, who designed us in His image with the, the, the capacity to experience relationships that, again, are a reflection of His very nature. So relational health is modeled and made possible by Jesus. Now, there's something else that Scripture brings out for us that I think is useful for us to notice, and that's this. Relational healthy people demonstrate the value others have to them. Relationally healthy people demonstrate the value others have to them. Look with me, if you would, at James chapter 1, verse 19. So this is on you guys in the back today. Uh, James 1, 19 says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Again, let me reread that. It says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Uh, when I was in high school, I spent some time volunteering for a ministry that, that uh, it, it meant a lot to me, and so I would volunteer to be part of it, and, and uh, some of my friends, we would volunteer together to be part of this particular ministry. And at one point, that ministry went through a very difficult stretch, but some of us tried to help out anyway. And I remember at one point, they had a big project going on where they needed a variety of pieces of furniture moved. And as they needed all this furniture moved, we decided to volunteer and to spend a day moving a whole bunch of furniture because they had a big project upcoming, and so we dedicated the time to do that. And so as we were doing so, throughout the course of the day, as we were moving that, that furniture and trying to help out with this project, the primary ministry leader who oversaw that ministry started yelling at the volunteers and demanding that no one leave until every last piece of furniture was moved. Now, think about that context for just a second. Do you think that would be a pleasant thing, you know, to volunteer your time to help out in a context like that, and then for the primary ministry leader to then look at volunteers, and instead of saying, hey, thank you for carving out a day to help move these pieces of furniture, um, yelling at people instead and saying, no one leaves until all this furniture is moved. Now, I don't know what triggered this, this leader to act that way toward the volunteers, but I did notice something right after that. I noticed that they had a very hard time for, a, a, for years after that actually getting volunteers. Now, would that surprise you if you were in a context like that? It did not surprise me that after that, that they had a very difficult time getting additional volunteers because the, it was, it was, clearly communicated to the volunteers in the way in which they were spoken to that they were not valued or certainly they were not respected. 
I read something interesting recently. It's very brief, but it was from the Carnegie Technological Institute. And they had a statement about work relationships. And they said this. They stated that 90% of all people who fail in their life's vocation fail because they can't get along with people. So 90% of people who fail in their life's vocation, the main reason they fail is because they can't get along with people or they choose not to, uh, to get along with people. So when you look at what James said in James chapter 1, verse 19 that we read just a moment ago, in that context you have James expressing the fact that relationally healthy people demonstrate in their actions and in their words that others have value to them. So they go out of their way to make it known. Sometimes they use words. Other times they demonstrate that with actions, or other times they demonstrate that with gifts. But one way or another, their value and their importance, it gets communicated in one way or another through one of those means. Now, um, Earlier this week, I was talking to somebody specifically about the book of James. I don't know if you've ever read through the book of James. This was somebody, a friend of mine, who is currently doing a study of the book of James. And as I was talking to her about uh, the book in particular, I mentioned to her that there was a season of my life in my early 20s where I, I went through a stretch where I would read the book of James every day. I would read that book of the Bible from start to finish every day, and sometimes I would read it more than once. And I got to the point where I realized, okay, it takes me about 15 minutes to read the book of James at the right pace for me to internalize the content. If I read it faster than 15 minutes, um, I'm not digesting its content. And so it would take me, you know, uh, three-ish minutes right around there per chapter as I was reading through the book of James, and I would read it almost every day. And I don't know if you're familiar with the book of James, but if you've never sat down to read the book of James, I'd encourage you to do so. Some people have nicknamed it the Proverbs of the New Testament. So I don't know if you've ever heard the book of James referred to as the Proverbs of the New Testament, but there's good reason for that because the book, it was written by James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, as the Holy Spirit communicated great wisdom through him. And the book is intensely practical. And it has advice on all sorts of things. It has advice on when you're going through trials. And, and I remember in particular, that's why I used to read that book in my early 20s so frequently, because I was going through a season that was emotionally very difficult. And I took comfort from the words in the book of James. But there's also uh, comments there about prayer, so advice on how to pray and, and even what to pray about and why sometimes we feel like maybe our prayers aren't being answered, so it encourages us to examine our motives. But it also talks about relationships, how we relate to one another. And when you look at James chapter 1, verse 19, it, again, I'll read it. it. It says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. So you have James there in verse 19 of chapter 1. He addresses here this idea of healthy communication in our relationships. And when you look at that verse, he's giving us three pieces of advice. First of all, he's saying here in that verse, he's saying, all right, be someone who makes a point to demonstrate that you are listening when others speak. I think that's an important skill. If you want to develop relationships with people, be somebody who demonstrates that you're listening when they speak. Maintain eye contact. Active listen. Sometimes you don't have to say anything, but, but here, here's a few hints. Now and then go like this. Hmm. <laughs> or, hmm. 
You know, like that. It, there's variety, right? We can do this multiple ways. Yeah, tilt your head or kind of scratch your chin. <laughs> Something, right? Communicate that you're listening. Be someone who makes a point to demonstrate that you're listening when other people speak. Second piece of advice that he gives us here in that, that passage, and I'm paraphrasing his words here, maybe kind of... Um, uh, you know, just elaborating on it a little bit. But he says here, be careful with the words that come out of your mouth. Or another way we could say that is think before you speak. Right? Be careful about the words that come out of your mouth. A couple of the guys, we were joking before the worship service this morning about um, inadvertent things that sometimes preachers say in the pulpit that they wish they could take back. And I confessed, I said, sometimes if I really goof up since, since, you know, when I'm editing the podcast before that goes out, if I can remember where in the message I really goofed up or I got tongue tied or said something that I wish I could take back, I think, well, I can't take it back from the live audience, but I can take it back from the podcast and the recording, right? So I'll go through and I'll be like, and I'm just gonna, <laughs> just gonna delete those two seconds where I, I don't even know what I was saying there and, uh, just kind of fix that and, no one has to know, and there's no evidence of it. But the idea is, in, in day-to-day relationships, we want to be people who are careful with the words that come out of our mouth. We want to be people who think before we speak. That is one of the marks, by the way, of social maturity and spiritual maturity, that we think before we speak, that we are careful with the words that come out of our mouth. James was expressing that in the book of James. One other thing that he shares there in verse 19 is this idea of don't rush to get angry or express anger. Don't rush to get angry or express that anger. Now, there are people that are going to set you off from time to time. (laughs) Again, they're coming to your mind, aren't they? Come on, I know they are, right? They're coming to my mind, too. There are people that sometimes I have to coach myself before I talk to them. Because I know that my old nature is going to want to react in an unhealthy way sometimes. I think to myself, okay... You know this person provokes you. You know this person sets you up. You know that this person is sometimes trying to do that. Don't take the bait. This is the internal conversation that goes on in my head sometimes. I'll say it to myself that way. It's like, don't take the bait. Don't take the bait. Because we don't want to be people who rush to anger. We don't want to be people who express anger easily. And so this is some of the counsel that James was giving us here in this Scripture. And and by the way, if we take this counsel, I think that we'll be more likely to communicate to others that we value them than if we ignore this counsel. If we reject this counsel, I think what we'll end up doing is causing others to feel devalued in our eyes. And I can tell you from my own heart, I do not personally desire to make somebody feel devalued. That would bother me. That would bother my conscience if I found out later on that because of my own carelessness or my own ignorance, I caused somebody to feel devalued. And I suspect that you feel the same way, that you would not want to intentionally cause someone to feel devalued. But this is how value or devaluing sometimes plays out. It's not always very intentional. I was thinking this week, um, as I was preparing for today, I thought, all right, let's, let's think through your own life. Think of moments where this has played out. And I remember a car ride I took with a friend some time ago. And, uh, you know, a friend that, that uh, he's very conversational. But I remember on the car ride, he shared a lot of things, and, and I was listening. And then when I would share, just as the nature of conversation goes, 
I never really had the chance to re- respond or, or share. Somewhere along the way, it dawned on me, I was like, wait a second, this conversation's going to be one-sided, isn't it? And when that happened, like there were things I wanted to contribute or share to the conversation that I realized there's no point. He's not listening. And so when you feel like somebody's not listening, what do you end up doing? You just don't talk, right? You just don't say anything. Eventually you get to a spot where you're like, he's not listening. Like, there's no point. I'm just not going to talk. And how do you feel in those moments? I can tell you how I felt. Unheard. Devalued. It wasn't pleasant. But let me give you a very recent example from my life that's the opposite. I had something very recently that upset me. And uh, it wasn't anything, you know, sometimes when I say this, people are like, did something happen in the church? It wasn't anything to do with our church. Uh, something, I, have, I promise I have a life outside of, you know, uh, my ministry responsibilities. But there was something uh, just in my day-to-day life that truly was upsetting to me. And uh, a, a very close friend of mine found out about it. And I got a message from him. It was like 11.15 at night. It was kind of late. I was still up. And uh, he sent me a text because he, he knew about it. And he said, hey, I just want to let you know that I'm up if you feel like talking. And I was like, oh. And in my mind, I was like, I do. <laughs> like, I really do feel like talking about this with somebody. And, uh, and so I called him up, and I was like, hey. And he's like, hey. And so we were on the phone for over two hours. Like, when I looked at the clock after we got off the phone, it was 1.40 a.m. But you know how I felt after? And this is how the conversation ended. I said, I, just got, I want to thank you. Because at the end, he said, can I just like finish our time together? Can I just pray for you? Um, and, uh, and I said, yeah, like that, that would be fantastic. But I thanked him afterward. I, I said, I, I just want to let you know how much this meant to me. Like This really was meaningful to me that you would choose to initiate reaching out to me and that you would choose to, to have a phone call with me this late at night when you could be sleeping. Now, I happen to know he's a late bird too. Uh, but the point being, he could have spent that time doing anything else, and he chose to spend that time on the phone with me, primarily listening, although after he listened, offering helpful counsel. Don't you need friends like that in your life? I need friends like that in my life. I'm grateful that I have some. But offering helpful counsel and then prayer. I felt heard, and because I felt heard, I felt valued. And because I felt valued, I felt ministered to. And I was so grateful in that particular moment that the Lord blessed me with some good relationships like that. Now, something else that Scripture brings out about the idea of being relationally healthy that I want to show us from Colossians 3 relates to the family. And that's this, relationally healthy families, so think of this now in the context of your family, relationally healthy families exhibit a servant's heart. Relationally healthy families exhibit a servant's heart. Let me read for us from Colossians 3, verse 18 down to verse 21. It says this, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So relationally healthy families, when you look at a portion of Scripture like this, it shows us that relationally healthy families exhibit a servant's Heart. Now, a family could be an immense blessing. Family can be an immense blessing, but living in close proximity with others can also be one of the biggest testing grounds for learning how to practice things that contribute to our relational health. 
So when you're living in close proximity with others, it's going to bring something out of you, right? It's going to bring something out of you. Growing up, my parents did not get along. They would straight up admit that. And so they divorced when I was very young. I was eight years old when my parents divorced. Later in high school, I actually used to wonder, as I was reading Scripture and just kind of thinking about things, and Scripture makes it clear that some people have the gift to get married and some people have the gift to remain unmarried. And so I remember at the time thinking to myself, Lord, which gift have you given me? Because I was feeling very content in him. And I started to wonder if like the Apostle Paul, who says that in his context, he, he believed that the Lord had called him to remain unmarried. So I actually started wondering later in high school if maybe that was something God was calling me to do. I thought, maybe I'm supposed to be one of those people who stay unmarried so I can devote my time to ministry that the Lord calls me to devote my time to. And then sometime after that, um, he convinced me that I was supposed to get married. It probably had something to do with meeting Andrea. I don't know, all right? You know, um, I'm, I'm not, you know, <laughs> I, can't, I can't figure myself out, all right? All I know is uh, that eventually I became convinced, no, I am supposed to get married, but I'll tell you what, living in close proximity with your family, living in close proximity in a marriage or with children, that's the type of thing that's going to be a proving ground or a testing ground for learning how to develop relational health. By the way, you know what my family's doing this week? (laughs) Uh, Immediately after the worship service today, we're going camping together this week. It starts this afternoon. It begins with an eight-hour drive together in the car. And by the way, I will be in, next to impossible to reach this week. We did this last year. It, it's, it, you know, I, it is possible, but it will be very hard. We have, like, we're in the middle of the woods. We have almost no reception there. Um, there is a field I discovered last year that if I walk to a particular field, I can get a signal. Um, but I really don't think I'm ignoring you if you try and message me this week. I promise you, I'm just in the bliss of living in the woods next to a, a campfire. Um, in close proximity, though, with, you know, there's going to be six of us sharing a car ride, six of us sharing a cabin. Although last year, uh, and my son's kind of got this going, they, they took hammocks and they hooked them up to trees outside and really slept outside most of the week. And I think that that's their plan for this week, too, just to sleep outside next to the fire. Would you do that in the middle of the woods, sleep in a hammock all night? Would you do that? Hey, they do that because it's their way of contributing to the relational health of our family. And I commend them. Long distance high five, gentlemen. Thank you. (laughs) But because of our sin nature, right? We all have a sin nature. Because of our sin nature, establishing a relationally healthy home. So you think about this on the home level. That can be a very challenging task. And I, I don't think that that's really something that we can ultimately do without the Lord's help. I think we need the Lord's help for that. I'm also convinced that we need to embrace the heart of Jesus Christ for us to be able to do so. We have to embrace His heart. Now, during Christ's earthly ministry, there's something that you will notice as you go throughout the Gospels and as you observe what Christ did throughout the course of His earthly ministry. But one of the things that He was known for is He would sacrificially serve other people. And a healthy household... A healthy family is made up of those who likewise are inspired to serve one another, to exhibit a servant's heart toward one another like Jesus. And when you look at Colossians 3, you have the Apostle Paul speaking to the church at Colossae, and here he's giving them some wise, wise counsel as to how this plays out in the home. 
And in Colossians 3, here it speaks of wives elevating the leadership role of their husbands by submitting to their leadership. And that it speaks of husbands showing their wives sincere love and resisting the urge to be harsh or abrasive with them. And then in a similar way, it also tells fathers they're cautioned not to needlessly provoke or exasperate their children, because all that does is encourage disrespect or rebellion or needless discouragement. So dads are encouraged, don't exasperate your kids. Don't needlessly provoke them. And then children, and we could bring the children upstairs from Children's Church real quick if you want a one-sentence sermon for them. I could just read this for them. You know, we could make it the memory verse for them that they could earn points next week. But it, it tells us that children are encouraged to contribute to the relational health of the home. How? By obeying their parents, by obeying their parents, right? It says, it says, children, obey your parents in everything. I love that verse. But you know when I didn't love it so much? When I was living under the authority of my parents. And the reason, you know, whatever role you fall into in Colossians 3, whether you have the role of the wife or the role of the husband, the role of the father, the role of the child, every one of those things is hard. Every single one of them, whichever role you pick, whichever one fits your particular circumstance, none of those is easy. Whether it's the one for children or for dads, husbands, wives, they're all hard things. If they weren't, if they weren't hard things, if they weren't things that we sometimes struggle to do, I doubt that they would even be given to us as words of instruction in Scripture because we'd be doing them already because they're so easy. But the reason they had to be said is because they're not easy. These are the type of things that are very difficult for all of us, whatever your role happens to be in this portion of Scripture. But again, a relationally healthy home is occupied by people who look at one another and say, I'm going to attempt to serve you. I'm going to attempt to serve you. And here in Colossians 3, it gives us a picture of how that can be implemented. And in fact, when that counsel is implemented with grace, when it's implemented as it's empowered by Christ, the end result is a relationally healthy home. Because when you serve the other people, so whatever your role is, so if you're a father there, and you make a point not to be harsh with your wife and not to exasperate or provoke your children, aren't you also making it a little bit easier for them to serve you? And if you're a wife, if you're elevating your husband's role of leadership through willfully submitting to his role, aren't you making it a little bit easier for him to serve you. And children, if you're actively obeying your parents, aren't you making it a little bit easier for them to serve you? So a relationally healthy home is filled with people who basically say, I'm not going to puff myself up and I'm not going to strut around and I'm not going to demand this or push about this or get arrogant about this. I am not going to ignore this counsel. Rather, I am going to serve you like Christ served me. I'm going to put your needs above my own. And in a household, you know, in a marriage where you have husband and wife both occupying that kind of attitude, and in a household where you have parents treating their children that way and children treating their parents that way, does that not sound like heaven on earth? It sounds wonderful. And it's so challenging to do because our sin nature gets in the way because we want to, at times, ignore that counsel. And sometimes we want to boss and we want to push and we want to ignore and we want to rebel against one another. And that's not healthy and that's not wise because Christ isn't glorified when we do those things. And effectively, every relationship in a home will suffer if we get pushy and demanding and ignorant in that respect. So let me ask you this. 
what should we do if we'd like to experience that kind of relational health in our homes, the kind of relational health that's described in this passage, particularly if right now our homes feel like they are filled with conflict and discord? What do you do there? What do you do if you're in a spot right now where you're like, hey, that all sounds nice, that all sounds wonderful, especially the stuff that others do, <laughs> right? Um, but, it, but if, um, you know, like what do you do in that particular context? Well, you can't control what other people do. You cannot control what anyone else does, but you can control how, how, how you respond to others. So you can't control what somebody else does. You can't control how somebody else feels, but you can exhibit spirit-empowered self-control. And you can make the decision to do your part. You can't make your spouse serve you, but you can serve your spouse. You can't make your children or your parents serve you, but you can serve your children or your parents. When I look at a portion of Scripture like this, I think one of the the healthiest things that we can do when we're thinking about what it says here in Colossians 3, I think one of the healthiest things that we could do is not make the mistake of waiting around for somebody to serve us. I think rather we should pick up the baton and say, all right, how can I serve my family for Christ's glory just as He has served me? You take the initiative to do that. I think you'll be surprised at the peace you'll begin to experience in your heart as you, ob- as you obey the counsel of God's Word. And, um, and then I think you'll be also surprised by whom the Lord inspires to join you. Because when someone takes the lead, when someone takes the initiative to display what the Scripture describes here, and I'm, you know, I'm kind of paraphrasing it, but this idea that relationally healthy families exhibit a servant's heart, when you take the initiative to display that, I think somebody else is going to join you. I read something recently, and I'm going to read through this quick, so you'll have to consult the podcast, or I'll blog the sermon notes uh, in a couple days too. Um, but I, I read something recently that I thought was an excellent write-up of, of just little bits of wisdom related to a, like displaying a servant's heart in our home, and what that looks like to display a servant's heart in our home. This is from someone named Hope Health Letter. Hope Health Letter. And this is what she said. She gave 11 pieces of advice in this thing. I'm just going to read it quickly. She said, before you say anything to anyone, ask yourself three questions. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Well, that would certainly help with relational health in our homes, would it? Or wouldn't it, right? Number two, she said, make promises sparingly and keep them faithfully. So parents, you make promises to your kids, you make promises to your spouse, make them sparingly, but when you make them, keep them, right? Number three, she says, never miss an opportunity to compliment or say something encouraging. Or how about this? Refuse to talk negatively about others and don't listen when others do. Do you imagine the difference it would make in this world if we followed that one little piece of advice? Refuse to talk negatively about others and don't listen when others do. Number five, have a forgiving view of people, believing that people, generally speaking, are doing the best that they can. Number six, she says, keep an open mind so that you can discuss and not argue. 
Number seven, she says, forget about counting to ten. Count to a thousand before saying or doing anything that could make matters worse. That's good counsel. Probably by the time you get to a thousand, people have started to move on at that point. Number eight, she says, let your virtues speak for themselves. Number nine, if someone criticizes you, see if there is any truth in what he is saying, and if so, make changes. It's the idea of having a teachable spirit. Number ten, cultivate your sense of humor. Cultivate your sense of humor. That's good counsel. Number eleven, I I like this one. This is where she, she finishes this up, but she says, Do not seek so much to be consoled as to console. Do not seek so much to be understood as to understand. Do not seek so much to be loved as to love. The idea is to have a giving spirit, not a taking spirit, right? One where you're, you're looking to be a blessing to somebody else, not sitting around demanding, somebody bless me, someone bless me, right? My turn today. You know, it's the idea, how can I console? How can I love? How can I understand? One other thing that uh, God's Word brings out related to relational health that I want to finish with today is this. And it's very similar uh, to what we just looked at in regard to the household, but it's the idea that relationally healthy people make sacrificial investments in others. Relationally healthy people make sacrificial investments in others. Let me read for us from Acts chapter 18. I'm going to read this in two parts. But in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 4, it says this, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Let me pause there for just a second. Growing up, just uh, answer this in your own mind for a second, and I'll tell you my answer after you just kind of think about it for a second. But in your mind growing up, so think about your formative years, your childhood, your teenage years, what relationship was your favorite relationship to observe? What was the relationship that you were studying and learning from and growing from and being encouraged by? You know, like, who did you see, who did you observe that gave you a really powerful example of what a healthy relationship looks like? I know for me, it was my grandparents. Uh, my, my grandfather Jack, my grandmother Ruth, they were, they were godly people who loved each other. My grandfather had a grocery store. Again, it was started by my great-grandfather, and then my grandfather took it over. My dad eventually took it over from him. And they worked like a, my, my grandparents, they worked like a tag team in everything they did. And I remember as a kid, and I even thought of them last night. You know, they've all since passed away. But I thought of them last night because I could hear the crickets and the katydids outside my house. And you hear that in the summer. Well, I always used to hear that at their house in the summer when I would sleep over. You know, my, my grandmother would open up the window and I would listen. They had lots of woods around their house and I'd always hear that. And I mentioned to Andrea last night, I was like, you know what that always reminds me of? It reminds me of, I, my mind goes right back to when I was a little kid sleeping at my grandparents' house in the summer and how much I loved it. And growing up, I thought they were hilarious. I thought they were so funny because they would pick on each other in the kind of way you could tell that they just loved each other. And they, they showed respect to one another. And, um, and I, I remember at a very early age looking at their relationship and saying, that's what I want someday. 
I want to copy them. That's the example I'm going to copy. And I have a picture, and I mentioned this a, a while ago in a message, but I had a picture taken of Andrea and I sitting with my grandparents when she and I first started dating. Because I'd be, I really built them up in her mind. And I said, I just got to let you know, the standard in my mind is my grandparents, Grammy and Grandpa, all right? Uh, and, and, and she's like, all right. And so, um, and so as she met them, she was like, all right, so they're like the standard in my mind too because they were the best. And so we have a fun picture of us sitting together. But they were my example of what a relationally healthy, you know, just relationship or marriage happened to look like. And here, when you look at the scripture that I read, I read it just a moment ago on purpose because when you're reading through scripture, we're given multiple examples of healthy relationships. But one of the most visible relationships that's, that's healthy in nature in the New Testament was the marriage of Aquila and Priscilla. Now, when we were studying the book of Romans, we brought them up because they're greeted at the end of the book. Uh, and their names are mentioned multiple times in Scripture. And in fact, they developed a reputation for being an extremely valuable part of the team during the, er, during the era of the early church. But Aquila and Priscilla, they both loved Jesus Christ and they made His gospel known. We also know that they were tent makers, and the Scripture tells us that they partnered with the Apostle Paul in making tents. And at one point, it tells us here in Acts chapter 18, they actually gave the Apostle Paul a place to stay when he needed a home. They gave him a place to stay when he needed a home. In Romans chapter 16, which we looked at uh, just several weeks ago, it also tells us that they had a church that met in their home. Now, we hosted a, a, a barbecue just a few days ago, and I was concerned that it was going to rain the entire time. And last year when we hosted the church barbecue... We ended up having it inside because, if you recall, it poured the entire time. Well, this Tuesday when we hosted that, I thought, oh, it's going to rain the entire time. We're going to have it over. And I was talking to somebody, and they were like, how many people you have coming over? And, and we had 39 people over. That's a lot for a house to handle, wouldn't you say? I have to say, you were lovely company. <laughs> and Scripture tells us uh, that, that Priscilla and Aquila had a church that meant their home. They didn't have buildings like this where, where, you know, 100 people or 200 people could gather. They met in their home. They met in their home. I have no idea how many people they had in their home, but that's what they would do. They would open up their home for people to gather. And so the pattern that we could actually see from their life was that they worked together to make sacrificial investments in others. That was one of the primary things they were known for, that they would make sacrificial investments in others. Another good example of that, so they did that for the Apostle Paul, they did that for the church during that era in general, but another good example of that comes later in, the, in Acts chapter 18 in the investments that they made in the life of a man named Apollos. Let me read verses 24 to 26 of Acts 18. It says this, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Isn't that fantastic to look at that? Together they're doing this. They're doing this as a tag team. And they explain to Apollos, the way of God, more accurately. They carve out time, not only to listen to him initially, but to spend time to invest in him and to train him 
almost as if they're like a traveling seminary during their era. So we can see from this scripture that Priscilla and Aquila, you know, again, they take the time to hear Apollos speak. They carve out additional time to help train him better. They explain the way of God more accurately to him. And what they end up doing is they end up making a powerful investment in his preaching ministry going forward that has an effect that reverberates in how it impacts many, many people from this point on. And again, this is one of many examples that remind us of the importance of healthy relationships and how the Lord uses them to help us become spiritually mature individuals as well. So let me say this as we finish up this morning. Building relationships, right? So as we're talking about this idea of being relationally healthy and what that looks like, building relationships, investing in relationships, Keeping relationships long-term, that is one of the most difficult tasks that we face on this earth. It can be very, very challenging. And there are many things that can complicate that and many things that will complicate that. It's not even theory, right? You and I both know that there are going to be things that make it complicated to build in and invest in and maintain healthy relationships. And there's probably going to be a bunch of moments that you and I experience where we feel like we don't possess the emotional energy to give it one more try, or we don't possess the emotional energy to forgive one more offense. Sometimes we get to a spot where we're like, all right, you know what? I think I'm tapped out. I think I'm done. Sometimes that happens in our household. Sometimes that happens in our work relationships. Sometimes extended family or other people, you know, work colleagues, people that you know, sometimes you think, I just don't have the emotional energy to go one more round with this. But when you look at what Scripture demonstrates, we've tried to take a broad look at the, at the, the full counsel of God's Word on this subject. It demonstrates that just as our Lord exists in perfect relationship as part of His nature, so eternally perfect relationship as part of His nature, so too we are designed by Him to reflect His glory, and we're empowered by Him to experience relational health that's based on the sacrificial example of Christ. That's what Scripture teaches us, and that's what Christ empowers us to do. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your Word, and thank You for the privilege that it is to be able to look at a portion of Scripture like this and just meditate on these concepts and really think about the things that that ultimately You do on our behalf to demonstrate Your character and Your nature to us. Lord, we know that we wrestle with this idea of living in healthy relationships. We know that there are plenty of things that really test that. Uh, There are certain personality types that we really struggle to get along with. There are people that maybe we feel like we just can't trust them. Maybe they just have a track record of of saying one thing to us and then doing another, and, and that really just hinders our our desire to be in relationship with them at all. Maybe there are people in our lives that, that just have that ability to get on our last nerve. Whatever it may be, Lord, we know that, these, that this can be a struggle to actually live this out, but we're grateful for the fact that as you make us new people, as you transform our thinking, as you give us a new life in your Son, Jesus Christ, one of the things, one of the major things that's obviously impacted by this are our relationships. You tell us in John 17 that the nature of our eternal life is 
one that's tied to relationship. Because we have a relationship with you, we experience eternal life. And so we see that relationships obviously are vitally important. You want us to know you. You want us to know you through knowing your Son, Jesus Christ. So Lord, we do seek to know you. And as we know you, and as our relationship with you grows stronger, we pray that by your grace that you'd enable our relationships with one another to grow stronger, within the church, within our families, within society in general, so that we would operate and live and serve as those who reflect your glory. Thank you, Lord, for showing us these things from your word. Please help us in the areas that we're really struggling right now. And we thank you for your goodness and your grace toward us. We commit ourselves to your care, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.